0: This is the Saturday to Sunday football podcast.
1: This is where it all counts. This
0: is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your
1: host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and I am privileged to be joined by special guest Christopher Harris. Chris, welcome back to the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. I think this is three years running now.
0: Yeah, man, and I mean, we talk a lot because you're a guest on my show on a you know like monthly basis. As however frequently I can convince you to do it, so thank you for having me back.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and it it sure seems like we are trudging along here to a NFL season, and it sure looks like we're kicking off. And I will see what happens once it gets going. But I kind of wanted to have you on here, you know, here Saturday, Sunday, we talk about these guys leading up to the draft. We do a lot of draft recap right after the draft. Then we kind of turn our attention to the 2021 class, but I always like to kind of come back to the the, the 2020 rookies one time before the season starts. But this is an unusual year because – there's nothing that's changed since we spoke on your show. You know, we, there's been some signings here or there, but that's all the fluff stuff that I know you always talk about. You can kind of make it sense either way to kind of fill an argument. But uh, I kind of want to have you on, just kind of pick your brain a little bit about these guys. You know, obviously last time we spoke, they didn't have landing spots. Uh, so let's just get right into it. I'm gonna I'm going to pivot right to the quarterback position, which we know in Redraft rookie quarterbacks don't usually have much of an impact, but just kind of maybe, you know, talk a little bit about Joe Burrow and your year one expectations for him. Do you see at times that he could be a streaming worthy type of quarterback? Uh, and in dynasty, do you consider him close to two or a little bit of a, of a separation between those two?
0: I can do the second part first, which is, I think, close because I'm so such a I'm so in the tank for Tua, totally, totally in the tank for Tua. So like I had my choice in a dynasty draft. I actually took Tua. Now it was a weird situation where I felt like I was in a rebuild and I wanted to shoot for the moon. And I, and for fantasy purposes, I I suspect that Tua might have a higher upside, but a scarier downside than Burrow long-term just because of the potential running, right? He could, he might have that cheat code that Burrow isn't likely to have in quite as much abundance, but, but either way, no matter what the answer is going to be that they're close. And that's not that I don't like Burrow. It's just that I think so much of Tua, it feels to me like all of the, the, the slash threat quarterbacks that we've been trying to convince ourselves are actually good at football and not just a good at fantasy over these past few years are reaching their pinnacle with Tua here. Finally is going to be the one where, like I still don't know whether Kyler Murray is going to be a winning player in the NFL. I know because of the running, he's got a great chance to be winning in fantasy. I don't feel that way about Tua. I I feel like he's Russell Wilson waiting to happen again. I, I love him. So there's that as far as burrow in a redraft, like, you know, if you're in a single quarterback league to some degree, who cares what I say <laughs> to some degree, you're not relying on him. Now I would probably not be taking him as a QB two either, because what's the point? Most leagues you can stream and you just sort of, you'll, you'll, we'll all get to actually watch him play and we'll decide whether how far along he actually is based based on what we see and therefore what i say now won't impact it at all what are my expectations it usually players no matter how magical the season is in college and it was a really it was one season don't just like hit it and never have a single hiccup and wind up being amazing right away. It's just like history tells us this won't be the way it goes that there was something about that LSU team that there was something about how his receivers and he had the, you know, his accuracy was sick, crazy, ridiculous in college. We all saw it over and over players who looked like they were covered getting these stick throws pretty far down the field. Never just almost an indefensible pass offense. It just, Isn't usually the way the NFL works. There aren't too many guys like that. I mean, Drew Brees is like that. Tom Brady is, or was like that. Like the idea that Burrow is going to come into the league with that, with being that good right away. I find it somewhat hard to believe, but I'm willing to watch and willing to have my mind expanded, changed. It doesn't have to be all one or the other. He could come in more advanced than a lot of rookie quarterbacks and, and surprise us and be really good and be stream worthy right away. But uh, yeah, I would say my larger point would be for at quarterback. It's just not going to matter that much. What I say now we're going to have lots of evidence really soon.
1: Now, if I kind of pivot off of this, not so much in terms of a rookie, you know, we have talked at length about our infatuation with Joe Mixon, the player. Now he seems to be locked in there for the foreseeable future with a contract extension, based on you know obviously the addition of Burrow at quarterback they they invested a early second round pick in another young wide receiver and T Higgins are getting their first round pick back last year do you do you think this is the year that maybe our our love of him the the talent in terms of film watching do you think this might be the year that he puts it all together statistically i think some people are still on the fence and not on our side of pro mixing the the <laughs> player do you think this could be the year that we maybe see him put it together and kind of win over anybody that's still maybe having some doubts or questions about how talented he is
0: i mean you're gonna say you know you've you couched it very carefully like could it happen yeah i mean he's all you do is watch him play anybody who's ever watched him play goes oh never mind (laughs) And then the, and the people who don't watch people who like, I have interchanges with people on Twitter who, who are like, yeah, film is like an accent to what I do, but mostly it's about my model. mostly about my numbers. (laughs) That's what I trust. And I, I'm not mocking that at all. I, I, it works for other sports. I think better than it works for football because in the end, what they're doing is going, you know, they say their number one thing that they're considering is opportunity. Right. And then, and then it turns into, I'm just guessing at workload. But, and and then guessing at uh, run, run, pass, play mix, all that stuff. I I think if we could just sit them down in front of a, in front of game pass for like one, one hour, we would have converts because he's, he's a crazy, incredibly good player at his size. His lateral agility is nuts. He has great acceleration. Like people are, have talked themselves into Nick Chubb and, and I don't know who's better. I mean, Nick Chubb is great, but I don't know who's better. Mixon might be better. Um, I, I As far as how it works out, it's it's all the stuff that we really can't know. We don't know if the offensive line is any better or wasn't very good last year. We don't know if Burrow can play yet. You know, We don't know whether the rec- receiving cast is Tyler Boyd and nobody else or a whole bunch of really exciting prospects who can play right away. Like, the thing that we don't know going into seasons is what the fate is of the team. The Bengals are one of those teams. If we woke up and they wound up going eleven and five, I don't think anybody would go, well, that was impossible. It couldn't happen. But by the same token, they could go four and twelve and people go, ah, same old Bengals. So I'm just gonna rely on him as just an exceptional, exceptional talent. And if anything, just say like last year, being able to produce what he produced with nothing around him just proves it all the more but you know I don't think that shows up in models so i don't know to some degree paul i don't want them to i don't want other people to be converted cuz then we get him in drafts
1: yeah and i i mean He's probably the guy I own more in, in, in every single type of league right now, from redraft to best ball to get him a hands on him in dynasty. You know, I think he's the guy I own the most stock in. So I, I take him at the slight discount that I think that we are getting him at times and, and, and excited to kind of see it all uh, unfold and uh, break out. If we use the mix and the kind of pivot over to the rookie running backs. You usually are at the forefront of trying to temper the -the over-the-top rookie expectations. (laughs) And once Damian Williams decided to opt out due to COVID, the Clyde Edwards-Hilaire went from late second, early third to top five, top eight, top 10, slam dunk first round pick. Where are you in that? Are you pushing back on that a little bit? Because there's always other people there, as you always make note of. There, you know, there are other backs on the roster who could have some type of role. Or are you buying that he's worthy of that
0: in that offense? Um, so it's, I mean, what's crazy about Edwards Hilaire is that when Damian Williams was still on the team, I was getting emails like, you're stupid. Why are you so high on Clyde Edwards Hilaire? Because I had him as a second-round pick. And then when Damian Williams leaves, I now the emails are, you're stupid. Why are you so low on on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? Because I kept him as a second-round pick. He doesn't, to me, rise to the level of player, even with the amazing situation, that I feel positive enough, the way I felt with Barkley, for example, the way we should have felt with Zeke Elliott. And honestly, that year I didn't. I wasn't high enough on Elliott. But you can see the body type. You can see the... The all different ways that they can get used in all different game flows and score touchdowns and whatever that Edward Solaire is just small. Like, there's nothing else to say other than he's small and there is another back. back, Darrell Williams is on that team and he's big. And then Darwin Thompson is there too and he's fast. And like, I'm, I love Edward Solaire. When we talked about him on my show, I think we, you and I probably talked about him. And I mean, Like I I was excited, like if LSU had just lost early, that would have been so great because then he could have been everybody's little secret, you know, and I was looking at him as like, oh, I'm going to sneak him into my number four range among running backs in this, in this class. And people are going to be shocked because wow, right. And instead he gets tons of attention and he gets the chiefs drafting him, And suddenly what are the range of, you know, what I'm going to say in fantasy purposes is like, I talk a lot about range of possible outcomes. Because I think that's what you're drafting. You're not, you don't know what's going to happen. Nobody knows what's going to happen. But you're, you're trying to assign a percent chance that he's this good, a percent chance he's this good, a percent chance he's this good, and kind of work it all out to be wonky in a mathematical way to like an expected value of the player. And I'm not actually assigning stats to those expected values, but it's more like a feeling. And to me, I, I don't love drafting players at the at sort of the max, in pushing it into the red of their possible range of outcomes. And taking Edwards Lair in the first round is like, don't worry, no one else is going to be a factor. Don't worry, he's good, even though you've never seen him play. Don't worry, the way they use him will be totally stable all year, and he won't pull like a LaShawn McCoy from last year, disapp- disappearing, reappearing. Damian Williams from last year, disappearing, reappearing. I, that's all very scary to me, and I can't get him in the first round for that reason. But he he's wonderful. Like I would imagine he's going to have... Ten to fifteen touches a week, and he's a really good player, and there are valuable touches in that offense, and there should be touchdowns. And like, I really like him, but I probably I'm not going to get him because I'm not going to take him in the first round.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I like Edward Taylor to player a lot, but you know, it does seem like people are passing on. You know, Derrick Henry, which is, that's a different conversation depending on your scoring settings. Joe Mixon, other players that we kind of know at least what their role is. We don't know what the production will end up this year, but we kind of definitively know what the role Derrick Henry will have. We have a pretty good idea what the role Joe Mixon will have. And, and you know, and some other guys there, you know, in round one, two, there's a lot of projecting with Clyde Edwards Hilaire and as good as they've talked him up and all that stuff, the, all, the silly coach speak. I don't think their plan was ever, we're going to draft this guy and we're going to give him the ball 20 to 25 touches a game. I don't think that was ever the plan. So I know Damian Williams is not there and I think he's going to be very productive and he could easily end up with round one running back production. But I do think... You know, like you said, I don't think it's going to be all of a sudden they pretend like there's no one else there in the depth chart, whether it's Darrell Williams, whether who knows they still sign a veteran at some point. You know, they recently cut DeAndre Washington, you know, but they still have, you know, Darrell Williams, Darwin Thompson, or if they bring in somebody else. So it's going to be interesting to kind of to see that we know he has the best setup right now of the rookies. But if we oh, take, yeah. this, if we take this to the next group of rookies, Jonathan uh-huh. Taylor, JK Dobbins, DeAndre Swift, Cam Akers they all have interesting other pieces there in the backfield. And those other pieces and the new guys who are all going to varying levels of ADP and stuff like that, who do you find yourself, if any, kind of maybe falling into the, the range where you would pick them? Are there any of those guys based on, I think Taylor's probably in the third round, J.K. Dobbins, you know, probably like round six or seven, Akers and Swift probably in between those guys. Is there any of those guys you're finding that you're kind of landing on when you're doing redrafts or are you more hesitant because of the other people in the backfield and you'll take those other guys at a discount more than the rookies
0: there. I don't think I have of those four running backs, one that I've wound up with more than others, but I've wound up with all of them because it really, it so depends on the draft and it's like, you know the, the, you'll take anybody at the right price. So there was a, a CBS charity league I did last last week that I went I went Michael Thomas in the first round and it's all other experts and they all went running back. I think the of the first 14 picks, I think 13 were running backs and then I took I had taken Michael Thomas at 7. When it came back around to me in the second round, all the running backs I would consider in the second round were gone. So I took Tyreek Hill. When it came back to me around in the third it's like now I'm choosing between Odell Beckham, who I have pretty high on my board relative to others. I'm comparing him to, I don't know what I can't even remember, but it wasn't even Chris Carson. Like it wasn't anything that I wanted. So I took three receivers, boom, boom, boom to start in the fourth. I took Jonathan Taylor. And I, I, so if it depends on how, I, how my draft goes, I can see stomaching Taylor fourth. I'd rather get him. And I think I've gotten him in the fifth, some places he's of that group of four running backs. You were talking about, he's the one, who strikes me as the most possible to just kind of go, I don't really care about your platoon plans Bye. I'm going to, I can handle 300 carries and I'm going to take them and I'm awesome. Right. I'm not saying I know that's what's going to happen because really I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen, but he's the one who I trust the most to maybe be able to do that in his range of possible outcomes. His, his high in the range is higher than the other guys. I, I personally have no question about that. Um, in that same draft, I go Ingram 5th, then I go Dobbins 6th, then I go Mack 7th. So I basically lock up Ravens, I lock up Colts, except for Naheem Hines, right? So I, I'm i making the choice to reach for players there because I've gone, so I might have three of the top eight wide receivers, like as it turns out. But there'll be some drafts where, you know, and this has been a constant theme throughout, that people have said, no, 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 take your receivers, take your running backs early because the receivers in three, four, five are amazing and none of them can bust. And of course that's not true, but it, there are some great receiver names that we can't really separate from one another. The guy who goes in the third feels really, really similar to the guy who goes in the fifth. So why don't you just take the guy in the fifth? So depending on how my draft goes, I can find myself not looking for the running back at the time when Dobbins goes, I can find myself not looking for the running back at the time when acres goes. And this weekend, I actually lowered Swift, uh, because of the Adrian Peterson acquisition and what it might, but we don't know, but might mean about Swift's availability week one. That all, of course, happened after I drafted Swift to be my RB two in one league. But uh, again, I'll I'll take guys at the right price. I'm usually not reaching for any of these rookies, but it's a you know there's a it's a very exciting rookie running back class.
1: Yeah, for sure. And you know I think it's really interesting. So I'd I'd love to hear your take if. Of that group that we've already talked about Edward Tolaire and Jonathan Taylor and what he could potentially be in that next group with, with Dobbin, Swift, and Akers, is there one that you personally would like more, you know, to have more Stock in, in terms of dynasty. Cause I know you're, you've been a, a Mark Ingram fan for quite some time when people were doubting him. I know you like Carry on Johnson. And I know we've had conversations about Darrell Henderson and, you know, what he still maybe could be if, if used differently or gets an opportunity that he never really got his rookie year. Is there one from that group of Dobbins, Swift and Akers that you would prefer more in a dynasty setting? Or again, just kind of how the draft would unfold or if there's one that stands out above those three.
0: Well, I will almost say there's one who stands below those three acres would be the third on list for me. Okay. I'm, I'm least sold about acres is just talent ability. I, I, you know, he was, he played in an offense that was dysfunctional. So it's not fair to say, and I am positive that everything that went wrong with Florida state's offense is about cam acres. Like if anything, he was the only thing that went right in that offense. Obviously we know that, but I do have some questions. The vibe that I get off of cam acres is sort of a Lamar Miller vibe where maybe the, maybe we'll see, like I'm willing to have my mind totally changed, but where the sum of the parts never quite adds up to as much as a whole. If you know what I mean? Like Miller was always like, gee, why aren't the coaches ever giving him enough work? I'm really excited for the day when the coaches give him enough work. And then finally he gets enough work and everybody goes, Oh, he can look really good, but he can also just run into guys. Like he just doesn't quite get it as a running. Like he was always, you know, Lamar Miller was always in Houston drafted to be RB eight and he always finished RB 17. So it was never like he was a bust, but it was just like, and I, I, that's my concern for acres. So he'd be a a notch down from the other two for me. If you told me for sure that Ingram wasn't going to stick around, maybe I would say Dobbins, but this year, I mean, it's getting closer because I don't know about swifts available. Like this year has to influence my thinking in terms of fantasy, especially for running backs of this level, because I want them to start, you know, if I'm, if I'm taking in a, in a rookie dynasty draft, if I'm taking a top five pick and I'm spending it on Dobbins or acres or Swift, I I'm planning on using them on that team almost certainly. And, and the theory has been this whole time, like Swift has a better path because carry on Johnson is so injury prone. Now, uh, <laughs> like you might, you might be able to convince me it should be Dobbins before the draft came along before they had landing spots. Dobbins was my two. Dobbins was behind Taylor. It went Taylor, Dobbins, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I guess it would have been, I don't know. <laughs> Acres three, like, I don't, you know, I don't know. Edwards Lair maybe, maybe was sneaking, sneaking up on, on the outside. Um, uh, Swift would have been three and then Edwards Lair, maybe Acres. But, uh, I- I'll, I'll still give a slight nod to Swift, but I've, I'm hedging marvelously because Dobbins would have been my choice before I knew what their depth charts look like.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and the last two running backs, rookies that I kind of want to bring up, and one of them I feel like has been a topic of conversation on your show and a couple of guests bringing him up a lot in terms of Antonio Gibson and their and their love of his overall game. And then Zach Moss is one I, I want to kind of hear your thoughts on because I know that you are... Uh, higher than the consensus on, on Devin Singletary, you know, kind of how do you maybe see, you know, again, we can't predict what the, the roles for either of these guys is going to be, you know, but. Overall thoughts on Gibson and Moth are those guys that you're kind of staying away from or, you know, mostly maybe staying away from Moss because you're all in on Singletary and Gibson, the uncertainty because he isn't that prototype running back, hasn't even, didn't even have a lot of carries in college. Is mm-hmm. that maybe some of the hesitation with Gibson, who now seems to be moving up uh rankings and draft boards for people who have, you know, drafts closer to the season, you got to pay a pretty penny to get Antonio Gibson now.
0: I don't even really know because, because this news probably isn't baked into ADP yet, right? So I actually don't even know what, what, how Haya Gibson is going. Like, there's a chance people are taking him in the fourth round. Um, that would be crazy. I wouldn't do it. A a player who's never played running back. Oh, I don't know. Ever? (laughs) I don't think I'm interested. I mean, he, he, you know, this better than I do, Paul. He was, he worked out with the wide receivers at the combine. Like, You know, he's this, and, and I think it's a fair argument that says, great, all that is true. He is a hybrid player, but Washington obviously felt secure enough in what they saw that they were okay cutting Adrian Peterson. So there's a world where, like, if again, I'm, I'm going back to this range of possible outcomes thing. Like, there's a world where the range, the, the possible outcome is that. Washington saw enough and decided, yep, we've got our starting tailback. Everybody else is going to mix in, but the guy we're going to get two thirds of the workload to is Antonio Gibson. Too bad. Like it or not. And that, that's fair. And that's why I did raise him in my ranks a little bit. I can't get him. Like, I don't have him as high as DeAndre Swift in my season long ranks, even thinking Swift might miss week one because I, I, I don't know. I've seen Swift play running back before. Like the, you know, Mike, Mike, you can be a fantastic athlete. Like Gibson is obviously a fantastic athlete, like a killer in the open field. We've all seen his college film. I didn't watch a lot of Memphis games live, but I've watched a lot since, and he's a killer in the open field. He's scary, scary player. Big big dude is real fast. Um, you know th- how many zone plays does he run in his life? Does he know what? He, does he does he know not to run with his hair on fire? Can he find a cutback lane? Can can he run? I mean, it's it's all well and good for Ron Rivera to say he's Christian McCaffrey. He's not. Like, he's just, if he is, like, we have no concept that he is. McCaffrey's like a genius in terms of patience as a runner. And, and no, I would say Antonio Gibson has not proven that yet. All of which is to say, I actually have him in a bunch of leagues that drafted before this news came out because I think he was going at a really nice price for like a high upside bench guy. But if you're having to draft him as a starter, blah, I, I wouldn't be able to do that. I don't think. Uh, as far as Moscow's, like, there is clearly just, uh, there's Devin Singletary hate in the world. The the world has just decided that it doesn't like him. And once again, I think if all you have to do is sit someone down and show them what he looked like last year when he was running and people will go, "Never mind, I really like him. He's so fun. He's so such a fun player. Like it's really uncool for people to go Devin Singletary too small, not all that interesting athletically, but, I love Clyde Edwards Hilaire. (laughs) They're the same guy, (laughs) you know, they're almost exactly the same guy. Uh, Aaron Jones, almost exactly the same guy. I, 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 you know, a Zach Moss, nice college player, big guy, never really ever thought of him as like anything super special. I I think people are looking for reasons for a Buffalo beat reporter to go. If Devin Singletary, has some fumbling problems when the season starts. Watch out. Zach Moss might play. You're kidding. That's a, am- wow. What insight. Incredible. If he fumbles, they might bench him. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Uh I, I don't, you know, for where I draft Singletary, if it's the fifth or the sixth round, I don't need him to have, I mean, I need Clyde Edwards. to have a hell of a lot more of a workload than I need Devin Singletary to. I acknowledge that Zach Moss is a good bet to steal some touches and to score some short touchdowns and maybe be a little frustrating on a weekly basis. But Singletary, just as a player, I'm I'm really, I really like him.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you make some good points there on both guys. Like, I think Gibson's a complete unknown. So, you know, I like the player, I like the athlete, but, you know, sometimes those hybrid type players, really good NFL assets, but sometimes not always translates to fantasy assets. And now it seems like that's a very invoked thing. Everybody kind of wants that versatile chess piece. But we're still waiting for them to become, you know, consistent fantasy producers. That hasn't really happened yet. Well, every team wants that, you know, that hybrid player or or something in in some packages and stuff like that. It's not consistently fantasy production, so we're kind of waiting on that still. So it'll be interesting. And then the Moss thing is interesting because Singletary. I wasn't that high on him coming out of the draft last year. Then he impressed me a lot during the season. But I was, I reserved my, my overwhelming trying to go get him in leagues because I was curious to see, you know, what Buffalo would do. And then they invest another top 100 pick in a running back. So I've kind of, I kind of don't have a lot of shares of Singletary, but he, he translated to the NFL game a lot better than I think I thought he did. But now I'm kind of like, just when I was ready to buy all in, they go take another (laughs) guy in the top 100. And now I'm like, well, I don't know. Yeah. I guess I'll. I guess I'll wait another half a year to a year before I make my full determination on who I'm gonna go. Tr- you know, if any try to go get, but. I, I think the price that Singletary is going at now is, is a fair price. If he's going, you know, I think he's now probably going almost outside the top twenty-four running backs or you know, or or close to that, you know, end of the RB two spectrum. So I think that's about right. I could also understand people getting Zach Moss, you know, in that, you know, somewhere RB thirty to thirty-six range. You know, at that point you're kind of looking for guys that could have a role. Uh, so I could see that as well. So interesting to kind of follow those guys. Let's take this at a wide receiver group because, you know, obviously a, it was a star-studded, you know, wide receiver draft in terms of the number of guys, you know, that went in round one. Is there one, who's your favorite for immediate production this year that could have some fancy viability, probably in that world of the 25 to 30 RB, you know, wide receiver freeze, but is there one or two that stick out the most in terms of what you might think they offer year
0: one? I mean, it's a boring podcast answer, but probably the answer is no. But the one, I don't have any rookie wide receiver in the top 36, but it's also this ridiculously flat world of wide receiver 14 and wide receiver 50 all almost have equal chances in any given week to be useful or not useful. And I would put a bunch of guys in that range, a bunch of the rookies in that range, because we just have so little go on. The difference, you know, I'm going to not break a lot of new uh i'm not going to win a marconi award for this do they give marconi (laughs) awards that's for tv that's not for Ah, i almost had a a radio um like it's a lot easier to come in and play running back than it is wide receiver anyway let alone if you don't have a mini camp and all that stuff so it goes without saying there's just so much risk i don't know i wouldn't want to have to rely on any of them week one judy is the one i have rated the highest and i would say that's in not not based on situation not based on quarterback not based on Cortland Sutton, who I love, not not based on anything other than Judy's the one who as a prospect, I looked at and said, maybe he's never going to be the best receiver in the league. Maybe he doesn't have a path to that, but there's almost nothing you can't ask him to do that. He wouldn't be pretty damn smooth at, like, he could play in the slot he could play outside he can run a jet sweep he can do he can block he can do kind of everything and it strikes me that a player like that has the best path to just being trustworthy and on the field an awful lot so if i the one I've ranked highest is judy uh i, I would say c d lamb is is you know around or maybe a round and a half behind him and c d lamb was my highest rated if you're looking for a superstar the one who I thought DeAndre Hopkins was my comp for him in the Almanac. Like, I I think he has a chance to be the number one receiver in the league someday. Uh, but, you know, I, how, how will it happen right away? I have no idea. I have lots of other players in Dallas that could play quite a bit. Uh, I think, actually, I'm sticking with Henry Ruggs as the next guy on my list, and that doesn't feel like a consensus at all. I think people are falling in love with Edwards. In Vegas, I think people are like, oh, Derek Carr can't possibly take advantage of Henry Ruggs as a deep threat. Kind of, we all know Ruggs is unbelievably fast, but that's not really how Alabama used him. They kind of used him on intermediate stuff. They used him, you know, throwing him screens. They used him with the ball. You know, I think the Raiders will do that a lot. Just get the ball in his hands, Tyreek Hill style. I've I've liked getting him... In, in middle rounds in a non-starting kind of situation, and I don't I don't need to go through every name. Those are the first three that appear on my single my redraft uh, single season list. But um, yeah, I'll stop talking now.
1: Yeah, I mean I think the rugs one is interesting because I remember my immediate reaction on draft night was a little bit spe- you know skeptical of pairing car with rugs and that blazing speed. But the more and more, you know, I kind of thought about it, people came on the show and brought this, you know, brought this up. You know, it's not that he may actually be utilized as the pick because they may look at it as similar to what Alabama did that, yeah, Carr kind of – is more in the short to intermediate range, so maybe they said, "Well, who's the guy who can take those short to intermediate passes and make the the most game breaking plays from them?" And that is Henry Rocks, probably in this draft class, in terms of you know taking a short or intermediate pass and taking it the distance. So the more and more I've I've, I've given it thought it's not as weird of a pairing. Would I have taken him over Jerry Judy? No. Jerry Judy was my favorite prospect in in the wide receiver class. But I do think there's a scenario where if people think Ruggs is only going to come in and run, you know, vertical routes and, and be a guy who clears out and, you know, and, and cars never gonna be able to hit him. I do think they misunderstood what Ruggs was asked to do at Alabama. Now, obviously it was a star studded wide receiver group there with Tua and all that stuff. But I do think he could be interesting for that. I know I like Brian Everett. Edwards the player, but I I feel like the excitement for Brian Edwards has gotten a little bit over the top since Tyrell Williams got hurt uh, that I still think Ruggs has got the opportunity there to be the most productive rookie for sure. We know the leash is much longer with first round wide receivers and I'm glad you brought up C.D. Lamb. Listen, every year people seem to get overworked up about depth charts. You know, I remember pushing back when the Falcons drafted Calvin Ridley. That's turned out pretty good for Calvin Ridley, you know, and the Falcons offense. So those things kind of just have a way of working itself out. So I I think I agree with you in terms of the highest ceiling also with C.D. Lamb there. Any other wide receivers, maybe not in a redraft setting, but in, in maybe in a dynasty setting that you have found yourself, you know, maybe landing on, whether it's round two or round three, anybody from that group of T. Higgins or Michael Pittman Jr. or Denzel Mims, Lavisca Schnall, or even further down, some guys like KJ Hamler because of the speed, or Van Jefferson, or any of those guys.
0: I'm trying to think of who I, I mean, you know, I, I think Justin Jefferson. Michael Pittman, Jalen Rieger, and Brandon Ayuk are the four where I'm not thinking about this year. And actually I put LaVisca i I put LaViska Chenault. He was a big favorite of mine. And then, you know, he bombs the combine because he needs surgery. So I'll I'll make it five. Those five are the ones I think that we could look back and say, oh, you know, maybe they don't have you know dominant in an you know, I'm the number one receiver in an offense kind of upside, but like really, really rock solid in various ways. Number twos that are going to be very good for fantasy. And that I viewed as borderline first round picks, honestly, for dynasty uh, that I, I I'm cool with all those guys. And the one that he, he's been hurt. And of course we don't know what any of these injuries really are, but there's been negativity about him, about his, about his injury status. But the one that I was most interested in a week ago, it was probably Brandon Ayuk because Again, I'm kind of looking for skills that can translate right away where we don't need lots of experience or lots of reps or minicamp and all that stuff. If there was a world where Debo Samuel wasn't ready to go because of his foot, which we now are told might not be true, it, I mean, it might be misinformation, but he actually might be ready week one. Plus, if there's a world where Brandon Iyok himself isn't hurt, which he might be, so he might not play week one. So I'm not, but he's the one whose skills. He reminds me of Debo, to be honest. He he reminds me of like I don't know if he can run a single route. I don't. know Debo can't catch a ball, so I don't know if Ayuk I- can either. But boy, get the ball in their hands, and they are really very. I mean, there's a new generation. This is the Chris Godwin, AJ Brown, Michael Gallup, that sort of player where maybe they don't aren't even all that skilled, except for that one thing that when they have the ball in their hands, they're like a running back in the open field. And I think Ayuk I- had that allure about him for this year but it may it may have gone away and i think all of them even rager who well i mean if he's really going to miss six weeks maybe not rager but like all the rest of the names i just mentioned i think should go in every league like i think michael pittman should be drafted in every redraft league because what if people are right what if he's michael thomas you know i don't have him quite there but like if he's michael thomas then he's going to be pretty undeniable michael thomas's rookie is pretty good so uh I, yeah i think it's a great class and all of all of those first-round receivers except maybe Rager feel like they're going to be drafted in all leagues.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's going to be interesting to kind of see with no offseason, with no mini camps, with no preseason. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to, to even see how much teams trust these rookies in in positions like wide receiver you know early in the year like do we even see them out there a lot of these guys for 50 percent of the the snaps even the even the early guys even the first round guys you know it's gonna i think it's gonna be interesting to kind of see how this unfolds and and when they potentially get an opportunity to maybe you know be relevant in terms of fantasy let's close out the night here like this we know there's almost rarely, if ever, any value in rookie tight ends in redraft leagues. Is there anybody from the tight end group that even remotely interests you from the rookies in terms of dynasty leagues? And if not, or if it's a very short response there, now that we've had a year of film on last year's rookie tight ends, Hawkinson, Fant, Irv Smith, lesser extent with him in terms of playing time compared to the other two, But from your film evals, is there one of those guys that potentially gets you excited for a second year somewhat breakout?
0: Right. So the first, you already knew what my first answer was going to (laughs) be. So yeah, that's not, not a great tight end class. I don't think we think if we wind up getting surprised by any of them, like we'll we'll have time to react because for now, I don't think there's any reason to pounce even in dynasty. It's fine in the third or fourth round. If you just go, sure, I'll take one of them. But yeah, I, I don't think, we see a great prospect there. Hawkinson stood out to me athletically as, as advertised as looking just, you know, just that big, but shifty and fast enough and smart enough as a route runner. He's of the second year, maybe type tight ends. He's highest on my list for redraft this year, understanding that he had ankle surgery and we don't really know his status. Like that could wind up not being right. But I I felt like all summer, Eh, it wasn't going to matter which one you took because you could, there's going to be four more of them who don't get drafted in your league and you'll just drop them and you'll pick someone else up for upside for, for future Gronk hood. You know, the Gronk was the one he got compared to. He had a, he had a great week one and then he had a frustrating first half of the season before Stafford got hurt with, you know, some, some red zone looks, some drops on the end zone on, on the goal line. Like it was frustrating, but I thought I could squint and see some, some really interesting potential there. And no offense, very clearly as a, basically a wide receiver, you know, basically a down, really, really scary downfield threat. He's right there with me, uh, with, 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 uh, Hawkinson for me. Yeah. I'd like, I'm gonna, I guess I'll talk about the other super freak dudes. And I mean, not second year, but like, I mean, you've got Mike Gasicki, you've got John o Smith, you've got Ian Thomas, uh, you've got, I, I would put Irv Smith in that category, even though Kyle Rudolph being there just really kind of squelches the whole thing for me. You've got Dawson Knox. Uh, there's just all these ridiculous athletes, these basketball player types playing the position who haven't proven anything yet, who look like they have pretty significant depth chart chances. And the, where I landed was Hawkinson and Fant. But if someone else landed Gasicki and John o. Smith, I wouldn't yell at them because I don't, I don't really know. I understand why you'd land there. Um, the point's going to be that if you, the guy you chose at the in the later rounds of your draft, hopefully you waited on tight end, if he doesn't work out in week 1 or week 2 or whatever, just go go look for Darren Waller, if, you know, go look for the 2020 version of Darren Waller and it's probably one of those guys I just mentioned.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting. The I never remember the tight end class having as much upside as it does right now. Do we know if it's going to turn into consistency? Absolutely not. Like, you know, that's an unknown, but I do feel like There's more upside in terms of the guys that are being taken in that tight end 10 to tight end 20 range more this year than any year I remember in the past. So it'll be interesting. Like you said, hit the waiver wire, try to find, you know, that guy that could be next year's, you know, this year's, you know, uh, what Darren Waller did last year. So it's going to be interesting. I like some of those guys. Uh, you know, I know Hawkinson and Fant were two guys that, you know, were very highly regarded. You know, obviously I think Fant still got some. Refinement in terms of his route running, he had some drops last year, I believe. Also, mm-hmm. uh, but but Hawkinson is a guy who I still think I like the most of the group. But it's going to be interesting to kind of see, uh, you know, what the second year brings for a bunch of those young tight ends. So, Chris thank you so much as always an absolute blast i'm sure most of my audience follows you listens to you but please let everybody know uh where they can find you uh and anything you know obviously you're kicking into now season mode which obviously again people in here have heard me say before my most invaluable resource is uh listening to Chris Harris's podcast all week especially his monday and tuesday are arguably my two favorite podcasts of the week to listen to
0: well, thanks. And you're on the show, too. You're like a, <laughs> you're a regular character on the show, which makes me happy. Uh, at Harris Football on Twitter and HarrisFootball.com, you can find it. It's five podcasts a week. We have a YouTube show also where it's not just a simulcast of the podcast. It's actual original content where I try to show plays that make me, you know, you can't on a podcast. You can't show the play that makes you excited or not excited about a player. But on YouTube, you can. So YouTube.com slash HarrisFootball.
1: Guys, again, make sure you're checking out all of Chris's work, Listen to the podcast, checking out the YouTube channel. Uh, you will not regret it. Lots of great football content there, fantasy, but just overall football knowledge, film avow, and stuff like that as well. So on behalf of Chris, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nicano, and myself, thank you for joining us, and we look forward to next time taking you from
0: Saturday to Sunday.